Hey guys, this is Jennifer from The Shears Mindset. We are live with episode 358. We've got our co-host here, Greg Cannon. How's it going? Hey everyone. And our guest of the hour tonight is going to be Paul Smith from Frontline Defense. He's also the PRS Atlantic Coast Regional Director. How's it going, Paul? Great. How are you guys tonight? Doing well. Um, for anybody that's unfamiliar with you, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into precision rifle shooting. Well, obviously, my name is Paul Smith. Uh, I live in Clayton, North Carolina. I own Frontline Defense Firearms Training Center and Range in Warrington, North Carolina. Um, I have to get out of the military in 1994, um, going through corporate America, an endless amount of jobs. I figured, you know, hey, I want to open up my own business. Want to own a gun range, and I guess we'll talk more about that later. Um, but getting involved in the precision rifle shooting, I had, um, I think it was about 2012, I stumbled across Sniper's Hide and uh, started looking on there, and I saw the name KM, you know, precision rifle training down in Florida. And I called, uh, was it Brian Morgan and Shannon Kay, and uh, they invited me to come down and look at their facility. And uh, I heard about the, found out about the PRS per se. Um, at the time, the only places I think in North Carolina the closest to us was uh, Woody's down in New Hill. Um, I don't think there's any PRS matches in Virginia, South Carolina. Not sure Jim Saunders was running Alabama Precision at that time, but it was very far and few between as far as matches. And uh, that was introduced to the Guardian. And um, and that's like a, I know it was on a PRS match per se, but that was my first Precision long range match was at uh, the Guardian in New Hill. I grabbed one of my staff guys, Dale Campo. I said, hey, let's go check this out. You know, I'm an ex-sniper. It's going to be easy. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Ate some humble pie that day. Met some great people, learned a lot. And eight years later, here we are. That's awesome. I think everybody eats a little bit of humble pie their first match because people will be like, well, I'm really good. I had somebody at a local range tell me, I don't know, like a month and a half ago when I was there, they were like, yeah, I'm going to come try a match. And I was like, yeah, you should. It's really fun. You know, it's a, it's a good time. If you need any help, let me know. Oh, no. I mean, I'm a, I'm a good shooter. I'm a good shooter. I can shoot, you know, good groups. And I'm like, oh, okay. How are you, you know, doing some positional shooting? Oh, I mean, I'm sure I'm good at that. I, I can do that. It's easy. And I was like, okay, let me know how that first match goes. <laughs> and, I, and it's funny you say that because even with the training classes, you know, even just the concealed carry that I teach or some of the other basic intro, you know, firearm classes. And there's always that one student who walks in, like, I trained my whole neighborhood, or like the whole cul-de-sac is we're ready to ever invade our neighborhood. I trained everybody. And then they very barely qualify in the course of fire for the simple, you know, three, five, seven yard uh, handgun stuff. And yeah, I, th I think it goes in all disciplines. So you're right about that. It's funny. I mean, everybody thinks it's one thing, but it's just something different, you know? Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's funny. Well, the one thing I liked about it, not just going there and eating humble pie, just because I had the expectation of, hey, I, you know, I was a stingless honor graduate of the Army Sniper School. I was a stingless honor graduate of the FBI Sniper Academy. I, I got a gun range now. I know how to shoot. But, man, when you get into this style of shooting, um, it's a totally different world. And, uh it was people like, I, I think I met Scott Whitehead um, from Best Steel Targets, um, you know, James Melissa Gillian, uh, just not name drop some people off the top of my head, but, you know, a lot of those people, you know, watching them and talking with them and then uh, obviously getting some training. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was my, my first experience. So, 
and I, I like I like the Guardians concept of you know just very low key, low impact, more more gear driven towards the new shooters. You know, I always tell people to you know, get get their feet wet in something that hey, if you come in last place, it's not all over practice score in the world to see. You know, I always tell people your goal is not to disqualify. Don't DQ. You know, that's true. Usually, if someone is, and they'll finish behind you. So even if you bomb the whole match, at least you didn't DQ. So that is very true. So you own Frontline Defense. Tell us a little bit about Frontline and where the idea for the facility came from. Uh, so take you back to 1990, 91, where I was actually in the first Gulf War. Um, I had the idea that I wanted to open up a gun range. I got out of the military and uh, sitting there in the Gulf War, I was drawing out the, the layout of the facility I wanted to have one day. Um, but after I got out of the military with a newborn child and, you know, obviously needed to make good income. Um, and I was only, you know, 23, 24 years old. I wasn't in that mindset yet of owning a business. So 2008, got my concealed carry license and um, started teaching the class myself. After, it was strictly a monetary goal. I mean, I sat in a class with, you know, 35 people. And this guy was, you know, getting $90 a head. And I did the math and the class was good, but I could tell that, you know, the guy was just doing it just to be making a side gig, basically what he told me after the class. Um, and he only taught it for about a year. He got out of it. Um, but I sat there and said, man, I could do this on the side and make extra money. Um, you know, I enjoyed firearms. I was an instructor in the military, so it was a good fit. And it seemed like after about two years of doing it, all my students kept asking me, hey, can we come back over here and, and shoot? Can we practice on the weekends where we're doing the class at? And I was like, no, I'm renting this property. I only use it, you know, once every couple of months. Um, it's not, you know, the zoning issues, you know, that could go on with gun range. I said, you know, I go in there and shoot handguns. Sometimes the sheriff's department will come out there. Hey, we heard, uh, you know, we got a phone call, of, you know, assault machine guns were out here. I'm like, now I got 35 people shooting nine millimeters and 40 cals at one time. We're, we don't have any full auto. And I probably want to say, and if we did and we had the proper paperwork, what do you care? You know what I mean? But I, you know, didn't get that attitude with the law enforcement guys. Um, after a while, I started thinking, you know, there's a need in this area. There wasn't any outdoor ranges. There was a couple of indoor ranges. And uh, I always want to have an outdoor facility. And, uh, and about a year later, I found a property. And uh, it was uh, May of 2012. And uh, we broke ground and, oh gosh, Sandy Hook happened the week we started construction. And uh, the, the, that was the end of December 2012 going to 2013. And my grader showed up and he said, hey, are you, still, you, are you sure you still want to go forward with this? Uh, with this school shooting, it just happened. And I was like, yeah, I, I bought the property. Um, yeah, I mean, the foot's been put forward. I have to, I'm committed. We already had a groundbreaking. I had like 50 people signed up, you know, ready to go forward with the dream. And uh, that, that was a scary time back in 2013, you know, going forward with something like that with uncertainty. Um, people talk about ammo shortage now. Th this is nothing. Um, back in that time frame, I mean, you couldn't buy a, a rifle case. You couldn't find um, hearing aids. I mean, hearing protection, cleaning products. In 2013, there was nothing. Um, so this is bad now, but I've, I've seen it worse. Then April 2013, we opened up. Yeah, we opened up, and here we are today. That's awesome. It's a nice facility, too. I've been up there. There was snow everywhere, but otherwise, it was nice. It's February. I don't know. It was actually very pretty because I'd never shot in the snow. Um, now I did out in Oklahoma last year, too. But at the time, I'd never shot in snow, so it was really cool to um, – 
you know, see the snow on the ground and yeah, it was beautiful. I think, I think the year, what was it? 20, 2015. I was doing, yeah, we had our own club series going on. We weren't involved yet with the PRS. So we had a match in January. I think we had 88 shooters signed up and only 12 showed up. Uh, all my local people were texting me at four in the morning. Hey, there's snow on the ground. Ah, the roads are icy. We can't make it. And I was at the Lewisburg Sheets gas station at six o'clock and Travis France was there pumping gas. And I was like, what are you doing? He goes, I'm here for the match. I was like, you just drove in from Tennessee? He goes, yeah, we left yesterday. So I got to the match and I think I had one local shooter outside my ROs. Drew Walter was there. He drove in from, you know, from Maryland. Um, and Travis and a couple other guys from Tennessee and Virginia all came in and drove. Most of them left that night before, but none of my local shooters showed up. And it snowed the whole entire match, and it was heavy snow. And uh, we kept going, and the last shooter shot the last stage, the last bolt they fired, literally the snow stopped after that. And uh, <laughs> they still talk about it. Every time Drew comes down, we still talk about that snow match. Um, and I had a hard time finding plays. I I guess being a new, you know, running matches, didn't know that you could go down range and paint a red outline around the white targets to help find it. Um, and we they talked about doing that, but everybody was like, no, man, just keep it like this. How often do we get a chance to shoot in the snow and actually in a snowstorm in North Carolina? Um, but it, it was probably one of our best matches we ever had, just, you know, you know, making it and doing it. So, yeah, shooting, shooting in the snow is definitely something. It is one heck of an experience. Um, if you've never done it before, go to Frontline. I'll, I'll take it over the rain. I'll take it over rain any day. Oh, yeah. Hey, it's a great yeah. wind indicator. Yeah. It, it really, really it. is. I know you said before, Jennifer, we should call it the Frontline Flurry. Um, but, you know, the, the Fury the year before, um, actually the two years in a row, I guess I blame Shannon Kay because every time he came, we had bad weather. Um, but it rained for two weeks going into that match. And a lot of people ask me now, why do you have all these decks you've built? I think they're 12 by 16 foot decks, two feet off the ground. Cause I still have pictures of back of those two years in a row where literally you were ankle deep in mud and water. And I didn't want to keep adding gravel. It just made it worse. So now we, we've lifted all the stages off the ground. Um, so I still got tires, barrels, you know, your traditional props. I just use my Bobcat and forklifts and just move the props around on these platforms. At least keep the shooters off the ground now. So. Hey, it makes it easier to find your brass. At times, I still get the, you know, people want to tear a prop apart to find that one 6GT brass. <laughs> and at least it's not like hidden in the grass or. Oh, no, yeah, yeah. It's not, uh, there's, yeah, rock. you're right. There was, I was cutting grass earlier this year and I could see shiny stuff in the, in the grass and just been buried from the last couple of years where just the mud and people stepping on it. So, yeah, it does make it a little bit better for that, for brass recovery. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I've shot matches before and literally came off of the gun and looked at where my brass was landing and being like, oh, no, there goes 10 pieces. Yeah, there goes $20. Mm -hmm. More than that now. So with all your experience with this, real, you know, being a real world sniper and stuff, uh, how do you feel that competition helps out all of our friends that are, you know, the real deal? Yeah, it's funny because we have this conversation quite often where, you know, people assume, oh, you did this, you did that in the military, and then you get to the matches, and, you know, it's a totally different world. And I know a lot in the military has, has come along um, as far as their training, you know, 
perfect example, you know, Phil Vallejo, you know, what he did in the Marine Corps, you know, in some of their training programs. Um, but a lot has changed over the years where, you know, in the military, your, your objective, you know, as a sniper is not just shooting the bad guy, um, you know, data gathering and just different reconnaissance stuff that we did. Um, but, you know, it hits a hit, you know, in our sport, you know, you nick a shoulder, you get an impact. You know, on the battlefield, you know, a wound is a wound, um, but the target's much bigger. You're shooting at a five foot, two, six foot, whatever individual, but you get in our style of shooting. Now you're shooting MOA at, you know, 800 yards. Um, and I, as we try to challenge our shooters, hell, we're putting MOA at a thousand now, um, 10 inch plate. And the match is over, I go down there and it looks like a plate is sitting at 500 yards. Um, the military didn't teach that type of consistency, at least back in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, one, the gear, you know, reloads. We all know all the things that attribute to that. Um, but I think it makes them a much better shooter now because I know we have a lot of, you know, active duty military that come up from Fort Bragg. Uh, a lot of the ranges around the country have military bases nearby. And, um, you know, a lot of them been able to upgrade their equipment. I mean, it was two years ago, I had a SEAL team come down and I was showing them how to use a Kestrel. You know, they just gotten them in. It was, it was probably four years ago. I take that back. Four years ago, these guys were deploying and, I was just kind of mind blown that, you know, they just now got these and, you know, wasn't sure what, how to use them or what was even effective and trying to show them the old dope books I had back in the nineties. I said, would you rather use this or use this, you know? And, uh, but I think this, the shooting sport has definitely uh, aided the military. Um, it's made me a much better shooter. I mean, I could shoot in the military, but now getting involved in this, um, make, makes you a much better shooter, especially some of the equipment they can use now that's available. Yeah. And, you know, getting exposed to, you know, if you go to a big match with two, three, 400 people that are all from different places, different walks of life, different ideas, and just seeing some of the different things that people use, people come up with, um, you know, it's not like you're, you know, okay, here's my team of guys. Let's all learn from each other. It's here's hundreds of people to, to see yeah. what they're doing. And you can walk by someone and be like, that's, that's a good idea. Hey, where'd you get that? Well, back in, you know, Early 90s when I was, you know, down at Fort Benning, we didn't have bipods in our M24 uh, Remington 700 sniper systems. We didn't have bipods on those guns. We're shooting off of sandbags or backpacks or, yeah, Alice packs. We didn't we didn't have that kind of stuff. Uh, you're crawling around in a ghillie suit. You're not, you know, vegetation grabs the bipod and hinders your movement. So, you know, you can't shoot a PRS match without some type of stability like that and at least, or at least get impacts, you know. You're just shooting 18 by 30 inch plates so yeah you can wing it off a tree you know stump or something but obviously we're not shooting those big of targets now so but yeah i think that um people get into the whole like is competition realistic <clears throat> and i think there are some critics um you know even that are military and and shoot a lot that you know it's not realistic and especially PRS, you know, you would never do that. I just saw a post where um, one of the AMU guys won a three gun match and on there, there were comments, oh yeah, see if he could do it, getting shot at and put on, you know, you know, whatever. People always criticize it um, for not being realistic. But to me, like, at what point is practice of any kind with your firearm bad <laughs> you know it's still working your fundamentals um you know and and you have to have fundamentals to shoot prs you do so right. you can't convince me that competition shooting 
whether it's pistol or long range or three gun is not a good thing because I think it, it instills the fundamentals in you so much um, that it, it's going to translate over, you know? Well, I used to have that attitude. I don't mind telling people that. I mean, I've changed a lot over the last eight years and I would say even the last five years, if you met me when I'd opened up my range and to when I started doing matches, like I had probably had the worst gear restrictions out there on the planet, you know, where I didn't allow anything, you know what I mean? But I had that military mindset, you know, ex-army ranger, the stuff I did with the FBI and the army as a sniper. Now I'm going into this sport and I'm thinking, well, no, this is a real world applicable. You know what I mean? And so I get that attitude from that military side of it. But once I've sat down and talked with those individuals or if we're talking now or people I'll talk to next week is that we're no longer running around, you know, Carl Safecock, we're not running around and, you know, Gilly Seuss crawling through the jungles of Vietnam. You know, that just, that just doesn't happen anymore on the battlefield today is so much different than back, you know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. Um, it, it, it's just so much a different game. So on that sense of it, I think the, the PRS style shooting NRL, whatever you're doing, you know, even with some of your buddies in the backyard shooting behind the barn at a plate 400 yards, having your own little competition, that is real world realistic now. And as I think it's a hindrance in the military to think otherwise, because um, everything is more evolving to an urban environment. Because um, I mean, you know, when, when we got the Desert Storm, no, no, nothing against 82nd Airborne, but they were, you know, road marching for miles through the desert, and we're driving by in our Humvees, just waving at them, going, "Dude, we're 800 miles from the border. What are you doing?" You know, and like they're just training, being hardcore, and at nighttime they're having to dig foxholes, and we're just laughing because I think you got about six inches in that desert floor, and as far as you were digging, you know, so they weren't adapting to their environment and changing and transitioning over. And now I don't think you know even the infantry units, unless you're in that urban environment. Now, you know, with airplanes dropping, you know, <laughs> laser guided missiles, I mean, why are you going to put your instrument in, in that kind of threat and danger environment? So everything's got to adapt and change. So we've, I guess, done that with the matches. I've had to say, hey, you know, this is a sport. This is a game, you know, and if a person wants to bring 500 pillows and all that and they have a good time. You know what? I'm taking your match fee. Rock on. And, uh, you know, so I, I don't care anymore. The only thing I, I do far as restricted on the on the gears is the tripods. And I just want them deployed on the clock. And I try to keep that real world because nobody's running around in a sniper hive with a fully length extended tripod all legs out with their pack in the rifle. They got that thing collapsed. Um, but, you know, as I talked to other master directors, I just set up the stages where you don't need it. Um, that's the biggest thing, you know, because enough people are hauling around enough gear, you know, their pack, their golf cart um, or whatever, you know, gun buggy using three gun. Um, the rifle spotting scope and all this. So I think, you know what, why just make the match set up simpler where a shooter doesn't have to have all this kind of stuff. Um, and if they do, they'll time out, you know, there's, there's no need to shoot a PRS skill stage barricade with a tripod, in my opinion, um, you know, 10 inch plate at 400 yards, you know, that, that's just doable. If not, you know, God bless you. You got to use it, use it, but get, get a good balanced weight kit on your rig and you won't need that. So. In I think opinion. it's good to use different gear, but be able to use or not be dependent on it. <clears throat> you yeah. know, what I mean? like I think some yeah. of the best shooters are the ones that can use a tripod very well, or yeah. they can shoot a stage without a tripod if it's limited. Yeah. It doesn't bother yeah. them. They can do yeah. either. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Brian Lewis, you know, VPRC, um, him and Andy Slade, I've 
our last match, I've got some stairs cut out and there's the step portion that you would make for a deck that is just a frame. So it's a, like a triangle and it's got the notches cut out. You go, go up and down and Brian deployed it on the clock and cleaned that stage, but he knew how to use his equipment. And, uh, and I watched him. I was like moving, he was moving, you know, and he, he got it underneath the 92nd power time. It was very impressive, but, and some other people tried to duplicate and never used one before. And now to me, it kind of comes a safety issue, you know, um, trying to handle a firearm and a tripod like that in your hands. But, you know, I always tell people, man, just practice with it. But I'm to the point now, I don't care. Use whatever makes you happy. If that makes you happy, then go for it. Um, so, you know, we all evolve. You decided it wasn't a hill to die on, huh? <laughs> yep, yep. Like I said, take the match fees or, you know, make half the shooters not want to come shoot because I don't allow it. So, yeah, I, I run a business. I mean, I, I do this full time now. I didn't used to do it. And uh, we're going on five years now. So, you know, I need money to pay my bills. So have at it, man. Have fun. So on that point of it, you know, if I want to do a hardcore match, you know, something where I don't allow it, then it just be something that's a non-sanctioned event. It doesn't count for points for any series, you know, and for all those 308 haters, you know, I still love that round, but, you know, I'll probably do some 308 stuff only and um, and see how it goes from there. So but at the end of the day, just want people to have fun, stay safe and get involved, do something. Greg, you got some lives? Yeah, we'll, we'll hit We'll uh, hit some of the lives after uh, let's talk about training for, for a minute. Um, you guys offer like a ton of different training courses from, you know, your yes. basic concealed carry that you're talking about to advanced level. So we're going to kind of give you a little quiz. Can you all tell right. us all of the different trainings that you offer and kind of what they're targeted towards? So I got the basic entry level handgun. Obviously someone who's never fired a firearm before or someone who's trained their whole neighborhood um, maybe a little, <laughs> little extra training. Um, but that's why we don't rent firearms at the range per se. A lot of people come up, you know, I tell them go to indoor range, you know, um, I feel like, you know, giving somebody a, a nine millimeter or 22 pistol or whatever, and try and show them in five minutes how to operate that firearm and turn them loose on the range. Uh, it's probably not a good, you know, fit for everybody around them. Um, that's why indoor ranges have ballistic shields between the base. Um, so try to offer that. I always tell people, Hey, if you had a fire extinguisher at your house, you're going to show your family how to use it in case they ever have to use it. One that's had that same concept with a firearm. Um, you know, so precursor with the basic handgun kind of leads into concealed carry. I don't allow people to take the concealed carry unless they can, you know, load and unload a firearm on their own and, uh, know the safety side of it. If, because at, at that point in North Carolina, we're signing off that, They've demonstrated they know how to safely operate a pistol. And uh, if you can't load and unload on your own, you need to take my basic class. Then we got the, uh, I was in North Carolina concealed carry handgun course. We offer some different levels of advanced uh, handgun, handguard, sorry, handgun courses. Um, we used to have operator one, operator two, and all this drama, um, but I kind of phased it out just to advanced handgun. And I've kind of turned the reins over to um, uh, Ben Brigandimity and Major James Williamson. Uh, both former instructors were Travis Haley and uh, some of my range guys. And it just kind of alleviate my schedule a little bit. Um, but that's kind of the next steps after concealed carry. Um, yeah, you got your concealed carry permit, but now what? You know, we try to do those stressors at real world environment training. Um, I've been involved in some firearm instances where I work, you know, narcotics at the federal level and I'm still alive for a reason. Um, but after all the training I had as an Army Ranger and spent a year in combat, um, having a drug deal go bad. And staring down the barrel of a few pistols did not prepare me for that. Um, I'm lucky to still be alive. 
I mean, again, all that training in real world environment combat, but now I'm, I'm facing to a, a situation on the street and I wasn't prepared for it. Um, it was lucky, like I said, lucky I'm still alive by the grace of God that I am. But I will say, as far as that stressor, that that timer that goes off, oh my gosh, and we all laugh about it. You know, Jennifer, you're talking about the you know, people. Oh, I got a great grouping at a zero. I, you know, I get the same call, and I'm like, have you ever you ever shot after a timer goes off? And they're like, no. I just giggle because it's like everybody just freaks out on that timer. You know, I've seen great shooters just do dumb things under the timer, especially in our pistol matches. Like, you know, they get a jam. Like, in a, if I did a class the week before. You know, stovepipe, they're sweeping it, tap, rap, bang, ready to go. But do that in a match when that timer goes off, they're like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> you know, so that, that, that timer is a good real world stressor, uh, in my opinion. Uh, moving on from the advanced handgun, we got, you know, the intro to long range rifle training, uh, the intro to competitive uh, rifle shooting, PRS style shooting. Uh, we are having a um, intro to competitive rimfire course coming up. Uh, I was actually working on the Ooh. website on here. So we've talked about doing that. And uh, I think we had a question on that coming up. So we'll dive into that later. Um, outside of that, I got a tactical shotgun course. A lot of stuff's been on hold waiting for ammo to come back into availability. Um, I've got about 30 cases of shotgun ammo coming in now. Um, all birdshot related stuff for our five stand shotgun area we're building. Um, so I'll be rolling that stuff out. It gets a little bit warmer. Um, night, night courses we offer on the handgun side of it. Um, we have an MP5 subgun class that we do. And some of the stuff's not listed on the website. Um, I'm trying to think what else outside of that. Uh, wing bird class, um, Dale Campo will be the instructor for that. We got our five stand clay throwers up. Uh, we'll be running that. And probably rolling out with an archery class also. So, and reloading, yes, reloading class. I'm not looking at my website. I'm off of memory. <laughs> uh, reloading class coming up in January. Yeah, it's great. A lot of people getting into, you know, long range shooting. Um, but every class we have in our long range school, I try to do things that, you know, shooters aren't have available. It's one we use lab radar. We, uh, we go down to all 12 students, showing them what their SDs and ES means. And, uh, and then they see why the student next to them is, you know, still at 800 yards shooting an MOA group. And I said, well, you know, he's got an SD of two, an extreme spread of five. That's why he's getting those results. Your factory ammo has got, you know, extreme spread of 90, <laughs> you know, and this is why your group's all over. So, so it's not you as a shooter. And once they see that, and then we'll put on one of our house guns, myself or Dan Campo, Dale Campo, we'll let them use one of our, you know, personal competition rigs, and they see the difference with that. Um, we did that at a Guardian a few years ago. I pulled a switcheroo on the, you know, day one, everybody shoots. Day two, the first place teams up with the last place shooter. Second place finishes, you know, tags up with the second to last, on and on. And I remember we had the uh, the top five shooters. Uh, Bricks had won it. Kevin Shepard had come in second. I couldn't remember who was third. Uh, Chris Brown came in third, you know, just some top guys. So they had the bottom tier of the of the pool. They got the thousand yard deck. I had the top ranked shooters in their, on their team lay the rifle down. I had their teammate lay their rifle down, made them step back. I told them switch. So now the person who came in last place shot Bricks's rifle. Bricks now shot the guy who came in last place. And I made it, you know, five and five, five shots, five shots. The first five top guys, I think Kevin Shepard might have got one impact. The rest of them got went zero for five. Their teammates cleaned it, every single one of them. So the man who had came in dead last, probably hit 10% of the targets, 
clean that stage with Brix's rifle. And it was a great, great confidence builder for those shooters. Like, hey, you're not as bad as you think you are. You just need to upgrade your equipment a little bit. You know, and that, that was, and I probably need to bring that back, you know, obviously in a non-sanctioned point event, but it, it was a great teaching tool for everyone. Um, and especially the people who didn't do well in day one, now in day two, they, you know, now, now the guy shoots the guy who won the whole match and he cleaned the stage. Well, yeah, you just shot his rifle, you know, so one to talk to the shooter. Hey, I got the ability to do it too. I need to upgrade my equipment. So that was, that was, that was a good, good, good day. You do that again. I'll say that sounds really entertaining to watch. Yeah. Oh, it was. And, you know, and they didn't want to tell anybody because I was waiting for someone to show up who might try to game it and you swap their rifles with their buddies. So now he gets his rifle back, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I told you, know, anybody goes past the hill and talks about your DQ, you know, unsportsmanlike conduct. And nobody did. They wanted to see, at that point, they're wanting to see their buddy not do as well. <laughs> they, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, they had to go through the same thing, you know. So, yeah, it, it, was, it was fine. Hey, what's fair is fair. Mm. Yep, and it's the guardians for the kids, so that's all that matters. Yeah. So Stephen asked a question, um, and I'm going to kind of paraphrase this a little bit. He says that everyone says that 10,000 hours is a sweet spot for practice to become a master at any one skill. Do you think there's a level of mastery achieved by a rounds down range? Um, you know, I guess quantifying instead of saying 10,000 hours, can you think of a number of rounds down range that would kind of correlate to that for a beginner trying to get into it, trying to figure out how much to practice? I would say rounds down range has anything to do with it. I think it's more dry fire practice than anything. Um, you know, I've been shot a match in a couple of years and people are like, Hey, I haven't seen you while to match. And, you know, my, my business platform and, you know, just the training classes and, and we'll talk about that later, my, my schedule alone. Um, but, but dry firing, I mean, why burn out a six millimeter barrel, you know, practicing, sending, you know, hundred rounds a weekend down the range uh, where you still can't get positional shooting down. Um, so that's one thing I, I try to install to people in training is dry fire exercises. Um, I learned this with Gabby Franco years ago. If you're not familiar with her, she was what top 10 of top shot. She's been to my facility numerous times doing ladies clinics and, uh, Second year she came out, she had like three openings and I was up there with uh, myself, Dale and Mark Burke, bored out of her mind, just watching. She goes, Hey, you guys jump in. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn from her. <laughs> yeah. Humble pie number two. So, <laughs> learned a lot. but you know, when Gabby was competing professionally, you know, in the Olympics, you know, overseas, uh, you know, her daily regimen of, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day of dry firing and, you know, and even in our advanced classes, I tell people, hey, when you go home, you know, obviously magazine out, don't have live ammo in the room with you. But, you know, getting from concealed carry, you know, point on target, front sight, rear sight alignment, pull the trigger, boom, is the last thing you need. But if you can't get from here to here under two seconds, then you need to work on that. Um, so I think dry fire is more critical than, than anything, um, especially as you get older in life. I mean, now I'm 53 now, if I had to jump down and get on my knees and, you know, go through a stage, you know, that's, that's one thing I learned watching Allison Zane the last two times she's been on my matches. So, I mean, the girl only dropped nine out of a hundred, 180 targets and she cleaned, you know, she'll clean a stage in 70 seconds, but her fundamentals are, are so down, but age is, is on her side. I mean, she's not pulling up her pant leg and moving her belly over to get down and her back's not creaking, getting back up, but 
she's just fluid in her in her movement, you know, and that, and that comes from practice. Um, so I always tell people, you don't have to spend, you know, if I'm gonna spend ten thousand hours practice you know, for something like that, nine thousand five hundred of it is gonna be dry fire. You know, when I get my load development done and I, I chewed up at 800 yards on an eight inch plate, I'll shoot the 10 inch plate at a thousand. You know, everything's calibrated in my Kestrel. I don't just shoot 200 more rounds of verified plate at 500 yards. Does that make sense? And, and so many people do that. They come up to my range or members, they get on a thousand yard deck, they'll blow through 120, 140 rounds. And I have an unknown 1,000 yard next door with a rooftop, a barricade, a barrel, and a rock. And they don't practice on it, they spend all the time on the range. On the on the you know laying prone shooting out to a thousand. Now they have that stage in a match. They clean it. You know they do very well, but they uh, they falter on the positional side of it. So I'll say, my opinion. Go ahead. So just my opinion. I think more more focus needs to be put on you know outside of load development and verifying and getting zero that that dry fire positional shooting. Um, I think instead of necessarily looking at numbers of hours too, I think it's um, whether it's valuable practice or not. I see people that go to the range and spray and pray and they might shoot 10,000 rounds a year, but they're not gaining anything from it. They're just instilling bad habits. So I think um, at the range going with an intention, if you're going to shoot um, live ammo, going with an intention and a plan of what drills you're going to do and, you know, really being intentional about it is more important than going, laying on your belly and, you know, throwing a bunch of rounds down range. Oh, woohoo, I hit a target. Um, you, you know, really focusing on what you need to improve on. And all of us like to practice what we're good at, right? None of us want to yep. go practice that one thing that we are terrible at because yep. then the dude at the other lane is looking over like, well, they can't shoot, you know, when you're really yeah. doing a difficult thing. And then I think with dry fire too, um, the hours are important, but again, being intentional and being honest with yourself, you know, I, I don't know about y'all, but I don't ever miss a target dry fire. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but being honest with yourself and saying, you know, Oh, when I pulled that, when I broke that trigger press, it was not on target. I would, I would have missed that. That would have been a miss and being honest with yourself. Um, Cause it's easy to, you know, set up a camera and video yourself dry firing and looking good. And really you didn't gain yeah. a lot from it cause you weren't steady or you, you know, pulled the trigger with a bad trigger press. So yeah, I think being honest with yourself and being intentional is almost more important or definitely more important than the number of hours that you do. Uh, I've already well, been before and been like, dude, you just got the fastest zero I've ever seen in my entire life. Well, you mentioned, you know, finding something you're not good at and focusing on that. Um, I used to hate the PRS barricade. I hated it because um, I didn't know how to properly shoot it. Um, and again, military side of it, that type of shooting wasn't, you know, something I learned. Uh, one of my range members was James Vick, top 10 overall, four or five years ago, PRS. He's, he had these moves, no longer remember, but this is a range one day. I said, hey, man, I, you know, I hate this position. I don't do well at it. Um, now it's back before weighted kits on, on chassis. You know, I had a, you know, 30-inch barrel on a 308 and top front heavy. And, and I just, you know, this is back before. I don't even think the game changer was out yet. Um, no, it wasn't, you know, Clifton Reeser had, had started that phenomenal piece of equipment, <laughs> but you know, and uh, James spent like 10 minutes with me. It was, it was, it was my body position. 
And then, uh, then when I started practicing, the first thing I do outside of checking zero before I laid on my belly and watch that thousand yard light light up for the 15th million time, um, I went, I went and shot the barricade. Then I got to the point where I actually cleaned it one time and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is now it's like when I see a PR's barricade, my mind is like, I love this position. You know what I mean? I love shooting it. And if you drop one, you get mad because, you know, people have learned how to shoot it now where that barricade was first introduced. People didn't like it, but now everybody loves it. So, or likes it better. So, but yeah, I like, that's a good point. Practice what you're not good at, mm-hmm. you know, and that, and that goes with the attitude, mental preparedness. Um, that's a whole nother topic in itself, but you know, we all bomb stages don't do well. You know, I tell shooters that round has been fired. It's done. This is a new stage. You know, this is a new mission you've got in front of you. You can't, you can't take that bullet back, learn from it. I always take, I guess you see, you remember my matchbooks are two pages. I got the after action review on the second page, the dope you dialed and what you actually use. And I'm, I've gone to, you know, other places and I've, my, uh, my, my course of fire booklet is, you know, my dope book and uh, is data on previous engagements. And I try to teach people that's what those are for, you know, and I don't see people writing notes down. If I cleaned it, you know, good. If I dropped three, which ones did I miss? And I go back to my place and, you know, and I practice those same. I'll set up, I'll replicate that stage distance wise. I might not be able to do the prop, but I want to know why I missed those targets. You know, of course we know, Hey, I, you know, I blew it. I was leaning or the rifle slid and I pulled the trigger too quick. You know, but outside of that, like, you know, I was steady, rock solid, had a great wind call. I don't know why I missed that target. And I'll try to go back and duplicate that to find out why I missed that target. Besides being a chucklehead shooting a freeway, right? <laughs> it ran out of gas before it got there. Yeah. Whenever you, um, well, one of the questions we were going to ask in a minute, I'll go ahead and ask it. And so this will kind of go along with it. So um, I was going to ask, how do you uh, keep your matches new and fun each time and a little different um, and still challenge the shooters, the top shooters, but leave it to where the newer shooters still have attainable targets that, you know, they can be successful and have some successes and have fun because it's not fun. I mean, all of us know it's not fun to go and hit three targets all day. You know, that just sucks. So how do you do that piece of it? And then um, what kind of made me go ahead and jump into it is, do you think about the mindset of the shooter when you are planning stages? Do you think like, I want to push them to think this way or do do you include mindset in your stage planning? I'll say stage planning and and the environment we're in now. um, And I hate hate to say it and other masturbators might tell me it's not true. I just tell them you haven't been doing this long enough. Um, there's a few of us out who's been doing this more than 10 years and it's a, it's a big revolving door business. Um, we used to run our pistol matches, two gun, three gun. And one thing I learned from some very seasoned, um, IDPA and all those other organizations is like for every shooter you have, you need to find two more to replace them. And I go from end of year of all the shooters that we used to see, you know, what I'm talking about. it's just a mm-hmm. high turnover. People got life. You know, it's not a cheap sport to get into. I, I love when somebody put up the other day, like, hey, what's a cheap optic I can buy? And I was, people were like, you need to get that out of your vocabulary. You know, what, what can I get for 400 bucks is going to make me competitive? I'm like, mm, you're, you're not thinking right. But that's a whole other topic. But um, so to keep the new shooters involved and and I wish there was a, a way where, you know, kind of the gap ground, you got the pro targets, then you got your amateur 
you know, almost almost wish were because like last match, I you know the end of season qualifier to get into the PRS finale. I mean, in my mind, I brought the pain. You know what I mean? And I mean, I had some Jake Vivert sent me a bunch of half inch steel, four inch plates, and I had some crazy props. And by the third stage, that those targets were gray. Nobody could find them with a burnout car I had behind it. And I was like, dang, I didn't think that would happen. And I'm like, how am I going to make this harder for the shooters, for the for the pro shooters or people who are doing it for a while? You know, if everybody's running 308s or 65 by 47, it's a different ball game. But the last few years, as those calibers revolved, everybody jumped on the 6.5 Creedmoor and the 6 millimeter. And now all the other variants, like shooters aren't missing. You know, your, your top tier shooters, and I'm saying they're getting bored, but how do you go and make it harder for them? But then you got the new shooter just showing up, might have their first match under their belt or not. And they get out there to sub MOA target 600 yards going, holy crap, I can't do this. And then and you never see them again. Um, so I try to make new positions or at least new props. I, I change them out every year. So I got a match coming up in two weekends. Might be some of the targets I had or at least the positionals I had uh, in September. That's the way going into February, the frontline fury is going to be a whole new set of things um, just to challenge people um, to that point where it's a new position. Um, but in the end of all, be all, you know, shoot off a PRS barricade to a ladder to something that you throw a game changer on a mini amp plate. It's all positional. Um, so that's why, you know, a lot of people clean a lot of sages. So, yeah, good question. How do you go in and design that and make it challenging for your top shooters, but not burn out your your younger shooters or your you know, other class shooters. Um, and I know that would be something feasible. Hey, you're an amateur division. You're not shooting the pro targets. You shoot these. You know, that probably would be something we could police, but in a non-sanctioned event, that might be something that I would roll out. You know, pro shooters shooting a four-inch plate, amateur, you got a 10-inch plate. And just to build that confidence. I mean, they do it in golf. I was know. about to say, <laughs> in golf, they have the different tees. It's no yeah. different. Yeah, but – not my game to change the rules, but, you know, some good ideas on that. Um, and that's what I always tell new shooters. I, I got, like I was talking to a guy Saturday. Hey, I'm, I think about getting involved in, you know, PRS style shooting. I said, great. I got an intro to competition course coming up in the spring when it warms up a little bit. No, I'm just going to sign up for your two day frontline fury. And I was like, I said, hey, I'm just letting you know, you know, it, it's going to be a challenging event, you know, I mean, when Allison cleaned it the first year, only dropped nine targets. She came back last year, dropped nine again. And my mind is like, I got to make a challenge for the, or her, the, the top five. You know, as a master, you're going, dang, these guys are getting 95% hit ratio. That's too high. You know, you I can just them. tie one of her arms behind her back. You don't have to make it harder. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, change it up where, yeah, trying to find that magic. Because on the most part, you know, in the regional, your 80, 85% hit ratio on your, on your, you know, top tier shooters, but you don't, you don't like seeing the 10 to 15% where a, a shooter gives up and, you know, unasked for advice is criticism. So after a match, people come on and go, Hey, Paul, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, man, we'll start with your ammo. Are you reloading? No, I'm buying fatter ammo. I said, okay, well, you know, you might want to get into reloading because that's going to greatly tighten up your, your shot groups and, and get you more hits on targets. You know, just those little minor things, but, People don't ask, like you said, they get discouraged and quit or they don't take training, you know. I mean, I did. I mean, trust me, laying on a belly, I can shoot. But getting on positional, I couldn't. So what I do, I went and got some training. That's a simple I, thing. 
I will say, I think you're a hundred percent right on um, that. Our sport is a revolving door and you really do have to cater to the new shooters. I mean, you want to keep it a um, solid, you know, challenge for the top shooters. However, the top shooters, if you look at what percentage they are versus, you know, the people getting into it. Uh, and that's what I try and tell people, you know, about sponsorships and about, uh, you know, with companies, I'm like, you need to market to the, new shooter because the top shooters already have their gear i mean they have what they like they don't want to change they've already bought you know their tripod they've already bought this so you really you know where you're going to get a return on investment is you know having someone i love the sponsored shooters that talk to new shooters and say well here come shoot my rifle or come try this here's this bag try it you know and and most of the top ones are like that, um, the, most of the top shooters that are sponsored. But I think it's, you really do have to market to that, um, you know, the bottom third is where you're going to get them to keep coming back and, you know. And it's funny you say that because, you know, I, I see at times and, you know, you got a team shooter, sponsor shooters, there's nine of them that show up at a match and all nine of them are one squad. And I'm like, guys like yeah, you like to hang out but that's what friday nights saturday nights and sunday eating lunch together but once you guys split up among the squads you know a third of you go here a third of you go there one you're marketing your company that's sponsoring you and two you get more exposure with the new shooters but having 90 you guys in one squad doesn't do us any good you know for the sport and some are started doing that they're like you know i mean i get it but couples like yeah it's kind of a distraction i've got all these guys with me that i see all the time and now we're just bs and i'm not paying attention and I, you know what i mean like so when i go to shoot matches i like getting in squads that honestly they tell me hey i need to move you over here help me glass ro and i look at the squad I go i know i don't know anybody in there i'll do it you know what i mean just because i get caught up in that socialization and next you know hey paul you're on deck oh crap i ain't got my dope dialed up and i ain't you know even loaded my mags up yet you know because i'm trying to catch up with people that i know but there's a times like i like shooting with people i don't know you know what i mean because then you get that new shooter involvement um does that make sense i mean i, I don't i mean i go to, everybody wants to win be competitive but now for me it's, it's just fun you know i don't i mean i don't want to like i said i don't want to finish last i don't want to dq um but again getting those new shooters into that sport is, is what's key um, especially, you know, the younger kids. I mean, I know we're going to talk about the 22 league and uh, how, how important that is. All right. I'm trying to catch up on lives over here. we got a bunch of good ones coming in. Um, I'm going to kind of roll three questions together real quick um, so that we don't have to answer them individually. Um, Andy was thinking during the story about swapping rifles, do you have any ideas for kind of leveling the playing field gear wise, like maybe a, you know, NASCAR type stock class events? Um, a couple of people commented on the, you know, the uh, beginner's targets or whatever, maybe doing that at a, at a regional match where, you know, you're not shooting in the match per se, but it's just like a, uh, you know, go out and shoot the match, learn stuff, but have easier targets. And then I think we also saw some people commenting on production class should kind of be accomplishing this. And <laughs> yeah, so again, my opinion and, you know, don't make anybody mad or upset, but you know, at the end of the day, I still have a business to run and I still pay my bills. But um, I thought about doing non-sanctioned events where, Hey, you know, if you're sponsored by, you know, 
I don't want to say a company because they're like, why did you say my company? Company XYZ sponsors these guys or whatever. It's probably not a match that you come shoot at. Obviously, with supplies and components, they want to shoot a match and they get points in the season. I get it. So on that side of it, yeah, I've, we've talked about doing some, you know, user-friendly first time or, you know, you shot for a year. Again, no points, no prize table, no nothing. Making the targets a little bit bigger, a little bit more user-friendly. Yeah, I'm all for that. Um, I have no problem in, in doing that. I think it's a great idea. Um, as far as production, what was the question on the production class? They're talking about, I guess the target should be smaller for that. That's a, a big uh, no for me on that because uh, some of these production rifles are better than some of the custom guns I've seen come out of the shops uh, over the years. Um, the production division ever changed the factory ammo only, which I'm a big supporter of, then yeah, I would make those targets bigger. Um, cause right now there's so many, you know, production rifles rolling out. I just got a Ruger custom shop six millimeter in that is, is qual qualifies for a production rifle because retail on it's 2408, but it's got an APA little bastard break on it. Trigger tech trigger. It's got, you know, different barrel. It's got an arc rail built into the handguard. I'm like, damn, this is a production gun, <laughs> you know, but, it, but it's not, you know, uh, a remnant 700 SPS varmint. It costs $595. You know, shooting factory ammo, to me, that's a production gun. You know what I mean? But, again, not my monkey, not my circus. I just play along. So, But I think it's a great idea. I'll definitely uh, put that on the plate as far as uh, a non-sanctioned points event for, for new shooters and, uh, and get them more comfortable. Then they feel they want to step up to the regional side of things and go from there. Then, yeah, hats off to them. It would be more enjoyable, you know what I mean? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely got into the sport like just a couple years too early because, you know, that's what I started out with. Uh, it was a 6.5 Remington 700, like action barrel bolt was bone stock going into my first match. I yeah. did put it in a chassis to fit me. But like now there's, you know, those two particular companies that build really great rifles and two of them are production guns that, I mean, they're, they're they're great guns they're amazing guns they are so yeah. much more than what i started with yeah yeah because so now i get my i'm like wow i should save money and bought these <laughs> exactly so, so talking about getting into the 22 a little bit you run a lot of different matches at frontline um so what all do you run we did talk about frontline fury a little bit but Yep. Tell me about um, all the matches that you shoot there. So we do the Frontline Fury in February. Uh, this year is a um, PRS two-day qualifier. Um, we got the Road to Redemption in September. So if you bombed it the whole year, you got one more chance to get into the finale, get your points. The Road to Redemption is a more, more friendly match because uh, of the name Road to Redemption. So I have been known to have, you know, bring the pain on day one. And day two, I've made the targets a little bit bigger. And, you know, and people still bomb it. So, hey, <laughs> you know, you miss a six inch on day one and then day two, you miss a 12 inch. You're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I bombed it twice. Um, but we, we started out the ambush action series years ago. I mean, I, I tried getting involved with USPSA and all these other places and nobody would let me, you know, read that next range to shoot at. So I started doing my own thing. Um, that's what came up the ambush action uh, pistol matches. And then we got involved with uh, the two gun um, and then three gun. Uh, kind of got out of that a little bit, honestly, when I started absolute zero sniper matches, um, I couldn't get involved with PRS at that point. It was under different ownership and, uh, they're just, just kind of limited on the, their outreach. 
Um, then when Shannon took over, obviously brought you know, more ranges and now you don't have to drive 12 hours. I think if you can't find a match within three hours, you need to get one going yourself. Uh, there's no reason why you can't find a match somewhere. Um, we're trying to wake up sh South Carolina and get some matches into there. Um, so I don't know, but anywho, that's another topic. Um, so we got involved with that and uh, kind of laid back on the ambush action stuff just because of the uh, is monetary. I mean, I can't charge $90 for a pistol match, um, you know, but, you know, do the math again, it's, I'm a business, but I am bringing some of that back this year. Um, just cause our range is growing out over 1500 members and not everybody shoots long range stuff. And, uh, so I'm trying to, you know, appease the, the masses per se. Um, 22 leagues started that years ago. Uh, 22 PRL, um, Ruger actually contacted us, myself, Dale Campo, Pat Moore, and Rob Hardy by helping design the new Ruger RPR 22. Um, so we're involved with that. A lot of fun. We got to go to the Ruger facility and uh, watch how they actually made firearms, uh, making barrel blanks and, you know, make it as amazing the technology with that. Um, so we started doing the 22 lead. We go out to 400 yards with that. Um, so that's uh, a lot of fun with that. Got some new stuff coming up for this year. We got a five stand uh, stuff we're building now for those who are getting those sporting clays. Uh, got an archery league I'm starting up. Um, trying to work on something for January called the Hunter Games. It's going to be a three man, three gun competition. So you got somebody with a, with a rifle, someone shoots shotguns, someone shoots archery. So you got a three man team. You got a 30 minute blind run. And uh, yeah. So, so. That's cool. Yeah. I want to the cat out of the bag, but. All three shooters will be shooting at the same time on some of the stages. So talk about a hot mess going on. So obviously the guy with the archery is going to be off the side of everybody else. That shoots <laughs> but but we, we wanted to bring something where, cause you know, wealth components issues going on. A lot of people are, you know, picking their matches where they're going to shoot. I get it. You know, I got an eight pound jug of bargain where I could probably pay my mortgage payment if I decide to put it up for sale. Um, Ray Blackletter is looking for bargain. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy out there. So I always try to think outside the box. We've, we've done some nighttime stuff. Um, we've done it with the Guardian and just, you know, threw out some spotlights at nighttime. I can't remember how far we shot. I think we went to 800 yards. Um, but I'm, I'm going to bring a lot of that stuff back because that, that's how that's where I got started. You know, I talked with Gary Larson last year about the Guardian and we talked about getting back to the basics. You know what I mean? It, it, trying to keep it simple, but you know, get, getting back to the basics and sometimes less is more, but for those out there watching ambush action series is coming back and uh, just hold on to that. So. Sounds very cool. Yes. It's entertainment. I mean, it's, it's entertainment. So. Say I, I, I love different matches, you know, like I, I love shooting PRS. It's by far my, my favorite you know, match format I've ever shot, but it, it's cool to kind of, you know, if I had a friend that was really good with a bow, I'd totally come and shoot that. And it's cool seeing yeah. people come up with different things, not, Oh, another, you know, 20 stages shooting off of props at targets from the, this distance with this set of rules. Like, you know, I love it. It's my favorite thing, but it's, it's cool to have that one thrown in there to mix it up a little bit, have kind of a vacation from what I always do. Oh much. yeah. I forgot, you know, the Rambo run. I haven't done that in a couple of years. And every now I pulled up on YouTube and I'm like, man, I've got to get back to doing those things that were a lot of fun. And it was a, a one man, three gun event, but you had a 30 minute, 20 to 30 minute window to shoot. 
and you ran my whole entire property. After you shot the shotgun stage, you ditched a shotgun in a barrel and we pick you up on a side by side and drive you different parts of the property and you just be running down trails and boom, there's pistol targets, there's carbine, you'd hop back in and you were just running gun. And I figured you shot more ammo in 30 minutes and you do all day at an eight to 10 stage match. You know, you shoot your 30 rounds of pistol and then you got 18 other people in your squad. There's another hour for you get to shoot again. You know what I mean? Or I can do it in 30 minutes and I've got a hundred rounds of ammo. I got eight mags strapped on my body and you talking about people having fun, man. It, it, I'm getting excited talking about it because I just remember now it's just a lot of work in the background to get that stuff going. But I think that's some of the best times I ever had was, was, were those matches and you only need like, two ROs, you know what I mean? Like I'd follow the people, every shooter, and it was good exercise, <laughs> but you know, it was, you know, hit, 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 hit clicker and, you know, and, and just get done. And the next people are back there waiting. And, you know, it's just, it was just a lot of fun. And uh, yeah, I, I need to bring some of that stuff back. Absolutely. That sounds awesome. Like a 30 minute yeah. jungle run. Oh yeah. 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 yeah different stuff is fun. That's like, uh, I'm doing mammoth this year and, um, you know, I've never had to range targets on the clock and it's going to be different um, and very interesting, you know, working as a team. It's just, I like the different stuff. So it's really cool that you're doing a lot of different, there's some variety there. So people that are local to you can go shoot your, uh, at your range, but not get bored. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why I was kind of trying to make the Disneyland a gun ranges. So, yeah. Not the biggest out there and, you know, don't care to be, but I, we have a lot to offer. So, and it's enough to maintain. I mean, I do this full time, not complaining, but, whew, you know, you know, the tractors I got now and the equipment and just keeping, just keeping the grass cut is, uh, and I don't mind it. It's, it's great, but man, there's some days people are like, Hey, why don't you talk about doing this? I'm like, Nope. <laughs> I can't do, I can't do but so much. <laughs> Gotta sleep sometime. Yep. Yep. So your your twenty two league did the, did that start before the PRS twenty two? Yes. Okay. So um, some prior owners before the people have it now, and, and we talked about you know merging them together, and I was like, no, nah, no interest in that. I just got it started. Um, and some talks about it. a lot of a lot of places just weren't interested. And I think when the NRL started rolling with it, then it started picking up some popularity. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's something I've been I've been doing for a while. And uh, it's good to see the PRS is doing it now. That way, you know, people can, you know, we got the finale what coming up this coming weekend, I think, uh, for it. And uh, same thing, if you can't find a 22 match somewhere, then start your own. Um, you don't need a lot of property to do it. Um, you know, a lot of people ask me, hey, how, how far do you guys shoot? I was like, last match, we put a target at 455 yards. I put four T, you know, the Magneto T1000, whatever, 10 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 4 o'clock on an 18-inch plate at uh, – 455 yards and uh i want to shoot for the fun of it obviously i didn't count my score and uh i borrowed dale campo's rifle the cz 455 and uh 77 moa you know we maxed out his gen 2 pst and we had to hold over some more and, and that was fun watching that thing light up and i think we had 48 shooters and i went down there um it was like 32 impacts on it so yeah so it got hit so I think I think about eighty percent of the shooters at least got one hit on it, and uh, tell about I mean and that's fun and, and I tell people when I when I started it I was messing around with a Kestrel and I, I saw my dope with my three hundred eight you know twelve mils 
Black Hills 175 grain. I threw the 22 stuff in there, and for 300 yards, it was the same dope as 12 mils. I was like, okay. So when I set up this, the matches, if I got a target at 800 yards, I divide that by 3.33. That's going to be the same dope for 308 and a 22. So that 455 yard target is 1515 yards for 308. So, That's and we cool. use the exact same positional stuff. I, I tell people, man, you know, it, it's, you know, they get down to absolute zero PRS regional match and you didn't do well, or you're getting bored to it, get you a, a 22 and come shoot. You're going to shoot the exact same positional things. I don't mm -hmm. change the props. I just bring the targets in closer. And now with, you know, all the, you know, Voodoo's and the Remex and all the other great companies out there, or just your standard CZ now, um, man, we're, we're putting small targets and people are just nailing them. And, uh, and it's a lot of fun. And, you know, attitudes a little different. You bomb the stage, you don't see somebody kicking a tripod or throwing a mag in the woods. You know, they're just like, Hey, you know, I bonded. But to me, it's on a more level playing field. Cause you're just grabbing a box of hundred rounds of 22 ammo and mm -hmm. you might check your speed and pray to God, you got a good zero at 50 yards and you just roll with it. And, uh, I guess it's less stress. It's just more fun environment. Um, and you can see that conversion going over into the center fire back and forth. I'll say a lot of shooters we've lost the center fire just due to scheduling or financial. They're they're all in the 22 league now, and um, it's more economically feasible for them. I get it. I mean, I'm a granddad now. I got a daughter getting married. I can't, you know, I can't buy another Gen 2 razor. I would love to, but you know, priorities things change. <laughs> so, so are you yep. guys. You know, since you run both the the twenty two and the center fire and the center fire two day, um, do you get a lot of people that will kind of start out at twenty two and then advance their way up? I say it's more the other way. A lot of people start in the center fire and realize that I guess they bit off more than they they could chew, or they they do as well as they thought they would do, and they hop over to twenty two league. Um, I'll see some in the twenty two league hop into that, but. Once they spent the money on you know, involved in the rim fire on the rig, I mean, you, you've seen the rigs out there. You can almost spend more on the 22 than, uh, you know, center fire. But I see a lot of these guys take that Gen 2 Razor or their, you know, Night Force or their Bushnell or Leopold and they'll throw on their 22. Mm -hmm. um, I've done that. I took my Gen 2 Razor off my 308 and put it on my CZ. I wasn't shooting it. Why not? And uh, the zero was pretty close. Windage was good. Elevation was only off by the mill. And, uh, Put it back in the 308, a couple rounds, I was back on target. So, um, but I almost see it the other way around, at least now, um, because of availability of components, especially. Yeah. And I, I have a lot of people, you know, when I started running a 22 match, I was like, oh, this is going to get people, you know, interested in it locally. And then everyone's going to go and buy center fires and, you know, are going to come and travel to all these two day matches with us. And uh, most people that are doing it, they just absolutely love it. And I, I do too, honestly, like I, I've shot one, two day, and then a handful of regionals this year. And it's just like the end of the year. I'm like, well, I don't feel like I haven't shot because I've been just doing so much rim fire stuff. Yeah. You know, yeah. Go, and it's go. good practice. I mean, especially if you're able to do, you know, if you have a facility able to do both style of matches and, and keep those same props there. I mean, I understand some places got to tear it down because they're renting property or they're using a range, just letting them use that portion of it. Um, I've dedicated a whole side of my property now to nothing but competitions. 
Um, for those who've been in my facility and we do the stages in the bottom, we rotate to the top. But on the one day now, we have eight stages in that bottom part of the property. There's no more walking to the top of the range to the other thousand yard and then back down to the bottom, except for a two day, unless I kept it at eight stages. Obviously, nobody wants to shoot eight stages a day in a two day. Um, so, we, you know, we're shooting 10 stages. So I have to rotate on the property. But our one day regionals now and the, and the rim fire is all in one part of the property. So there's no more that long trekking back and forth. And uh, I'm able to keep, unfortunately enough, I'm able to keep the same positional props up. And uh, so, and it's funny because, you know, they'll come back and, and shoot the rimfire match and they're like, man, I, I couldn't get this steady with my whatever rifle, but I'm sitting here cleaning it with my 22. And and actually, to me, the, the course of fire, I think is a little bit harder. Um, over the rimfire, I, I try to make it a little bit more difficult. Um, and people are still, you know, performing well with it. That is, that is awesome. It's, it's so, I'm so jealous of just like how much room you have to be able to just lay out. So, like your property seems like you can use it like 9 million different ways. If I had to do all over again, though, I definitely would have changed some things. Hindsight is 2020. Yeah. Like, you know, if people all the time, you know, I've, I've helped consult some people, you know, a good 10 hours away from me. I've had people a couple hours from me want me to help design the range. I'm like, dude, you're, you're a competitor. You know what I mean? This is a business, you know, um, <laughs> but someone's, you know, far, far away. I have no problem, you know, helping them out. Um, I mean, nobody helped me out. I had to figure it out on my own. So, so, but I mean, I'm not a jerk, but you know what I mean? It's, you know, if I got a car dealership on one side of town, you're trying to build one on the other side. I'm sure I'm going to tell you, you know, where do you get your mechanics from? So, <laughs> Yeah, they're going to try and get them from you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. so you were the Southeast Regional Director, but now you're uh, the director, the newest region in the series, the Atlantic Coast region. Um, how do you feel like this has kind of uh, helped out our region and our series as a whole? This, um, I think it's taken there's less of some of the strain on the Southeast. I mean, it was made up of 10 states. Um, you look at all the regions, I mean, the South has more shooters than anywhere else in the country. Um, and a lot of it, you know, equates to climate, uh, you know, and it's, you know, we're not sitting in knee deep of snow three months out of the year. Um, plus we have a lot of hunters down here who hunt. Um, I've had a guy from Illinois talking to me about, you know, trying to get a range going to Illinois. And I was like, well, you only have a rifle season for hunting. Like it's archery only a three day shotgun, a three day muzzle loader. Nobody owns a high power, I'm not saying anybody, but, I'm sure there's not people running around Illinois with the rifles 30 out six, 270s, because they can't they can't hunt with them. Um, so why would they have it? Um, down here in the South, your grandma's got a 243 or a 12 gauge. Uh, you know, <laughs> so it's and so the Southeast, I think, was getting to the point where it was just getting really, really big and talking with Shannon that it needed to be split up some. Um, so now with Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, I think has alleviated a lot of that strain on the other areas. And uh, I think it's gonna bring more shooters into the sport. I'd like to see some more states brought over to the Atlantic coast, maybe Georgia, but you know, it's not my decision to make, but I think a couple more states to make it a little bit bigger, but, but I think it's helped alleviate a lot of the strain on, on the Southeast of what it was before. Yeah. Cause that was, that was a huge region with a lot of, uh, a whole lot of shooters. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So and other states are close enough where they could go hop into Southeast and shoot a match. You know, if anywhere in North Carolina, Virginia, you can hop into another region and get points there. So I want to say with where I'm at right now, I am 22 minutes from the other region. 
Oh, wow. Nice. Yep. I'm right on the line. Um, Rudy asks the question, where do you hope to see PRS in five years from now? Uh, I'd like to see it still striving and doing well, obviously. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I always tell people, you know, I, I put about 80 to 90% of match fees back into the facility just in that area. Um, you know, and, and, and I've built a lot of things down there. So I obviously want the, the sport to grow, um, you know, the manufacturers, the sponsors, um, you know, very innovative, innovative products that have come out here as of late. And, uh, you know, somebody with a dream and an idea and putting it on, uh, uh, what's what I'm looking for? Uh, yeah, to fruition, I guess. Um, but I mean, it's a growing sport and, uh, not just outside of that, it helps keep the second amendment strong. And, uh, the more people we bring to the shooting sports and, and people realizing, um, Hey, you're not, we're, we're a bunch of gun crazy people. You know, there's actually a sport like golf. Um, like to see it on more of a national, more national level, um, uh, for, for people to shoot at. Um, be cool to see that televised on a Saturday afternoon uh, as a sport on ESPN. So that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah. We got a uh, AG Cup on the Outdoor Channel and the Gap Grind. Yeah, but more so AG Cup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. yeah. It, it will be awesome, especially you know the way Tom's kind of building the AG Cup to be more televisable and you know, get the right cameras, the right people and everything out there. That would yeah. be, uh, that'd be cool if that really took off and it yeah. got on more of a, I don't want to call the outdoor channel, not mainstream, but the first time I wanted to watch something on shooting USA, I had to put a post up on Facebook and ask somebody like, Hey, does anybody in Augusta have the outdoor channel? I could come over and bring beer if I could watch a show. Wow. But we get, that, it on a, get it on Trump TV. There we go. <laughs> so in the comment section everybody is asking how did carl taste it's very 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 delicious like so who carl, don't know who carl is that's carl carl has got one heck of a wreck Carl, I'm telling you, four years of, and I know my staff is watching, and they're so glad I harvested. It's like, shut up talking about them. But going into the road redemption in September, it was, you know, I had it two years ago in November. And uh, when I got home Saturday night, um, I get cell camera, sends me pictures. And at six o'clock, he was in front of my stand making a scrape while I was at the PRS match, you know, talking to Shannon in his camper about the next day. And I was like, and I moved to October last year and same thing happened again. So I, I, I do it now in September, right there in the second week of bow season. So leading up to getting ready for what Friday was registration, I was like running up to the range, trying to mow, you know, set up targets, but I only worked till like noon every day. I was run back home an hour away and hopping to stand. And I was like, <laughs> dereliction of duty, my adulting responsibilities. But man, when I popped him that Thursday, I, I came in Friday registration oh. day, just, I, I didn't care if everybody hated my match, you know, banned me from PRS ever holding another one. I really didn't care. I killed Carl and that's all that mattered. <laughs> so, but uh, it was, it was a good weekend because I didn't care if somebody complained about the course of fire. I really didn't care. You like your Chick-fil-A sandwich. I don't care. <laughs> Bring your own next time. <laughs> John so, says you know. Carl four, Paul one. 
Yeah. Who said that? John Congleton. Yeah, you're dead to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. John yeah, is one of my staff guys. So Jonathan yeah. said blah 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 blah. Carl blah blah blah. Carl blah. Everyone can take a 15 minute break now. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So yeah. what do you see coming up for the 2022 season for the Atlantic region? Got any big plans? Um, we got more more ranges coming on board, uh, North Carolina, uh, possibly South Carolina, um, and Virginia. And I'll just leave it at that until you know everything is finalized and approved. Um, but just some more more venues for for shooters to get into. Um, we'll be hosting the the finale this year for that uh, in October, and uh, more challenging uh, events, I guess, for shooters. More challenging, uh, like I said, you know go back to my drawing board about, you know, how we get more shooters involved in the sport. Um, there's more, I guess, less hard uh, matches, um, making something more user-friendly for the new shooters. I think the best way to do that is do a non-sanctioned event. And, and I don't mind, you know, still got to charge and make money, but I guess it'd almost be like a, a training class per se. Um, I almost might have put it that way. It's not, it's not good for shooters to come out and just shoot and then walk away still not doing as well as they thought they would. What was the reason for that? Um, I know my intro to competition class, we literally run through stages that we do in a match. I mean, I do some classroom, we check speeds, zero, we're straight on the range and you're actually running a match. Um, and we, and I break it down to, you know, two six man squads, then we'll come together, but you'll run that stage two or three times. And in each time, what did you do wrong? So I make your shooter give me their after action review. Then I'm going to critique them on what they did wrong. And what I suggest they should do better on the next time they run that. And it, it never fails. First run this way, second and third. Time to get to that third run if need be. Their score improves. And I've also gone to smaller targets. So that first run, you might be shooting a three or four MOA target. The next run, you might be doing one or two. Um, so now it's kind of pushing them and then realizing, hey, I can do this. That's that confidence builder. Um, so that's the kind of thing I want to I want to do for that. Get back to that, back to the basics. Um, so I think that's good to be able to do. Um, I took Sean Murphy's class, the team dynamics class with my partner from Mammoth. And um, he did a lot of, you know, teaching, like telling us a fundamental. And then we shot a stage of it, you know, working on a fundamental shot a stage of it. Is there anything you want to repeat? You know, and I think that doing that, um, you can teach positional, you can teach whatever, but putting people on the clock and letting them try it for real, you know, because you can get all the fundamentals and then you can still completely fall apart and derail whenever the clock goes. So I think it's great to do that and letting them, you know, fix what they, so many times we go to a match and we realize what we did wrong, but then you don't go back and fix it or get that redemption of, okay, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. And that's one thing, you know, plans for next year, you know, getting more youth involved, um, getting more ladies shooting together. I mean, we have a, a lot of husband and wife teams that shoot together. Um, Melissa Gillian has come out before and done a ladies clinic. She's going to come out this year. We're working on dates uh, for her to do a women's uh, intro to competition where she goes through there and the ladies can relate with her and whatever y'all talk about, you know, so uh, looking forward to that. So. And that's good because get 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 the family involved. That that's fun. You get a husband and wife team shooting. There's some great dynamics there. Uh, yeah, especially the wife. You know, shoots the husband on stage. You never hear the end of it. 
<laughs> so. that, yeah, that there was a our own mammoth last year, and there was a husband and wife shooting, and there was, whew, I was like, yeah. are they going to still be married at the end of this? It was interesting. Oh yeah, we see. Yeah, I think yeah. that's just how they are, though. I mean, I think they were fine, but it was they did not mince their words whenever the clock was going. They said whatever. It was like, wow, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes. Are there any more lives? There are lots of them. Um, we'll sum it up as everyone said, great job with Carl. That's exactly what they said over there. <laughs> I just went made a Terry good one of his little, he's one of my, he made a shirt last year, the end of season. And it was a day uh, I was at the range later than I needed to be. And of course, he came out right at dusk on my camera. And I was like 15 minutes away and I couldn't get there before it got dark. And I posted a picture up next time, whatever. But they made a shirt. And uh, Carl, world peekaboo champion. See you next year, Paul. So I, I had that shirt in my gear bag the day I shot him. And I put it on after I found him. I almost wore it that day, but I want to be cocky. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Funny. That's yeah. like um, when the first match I went to, I was so shocked that, like, the, the first day of the match, people were wearing the match t-shirt because I used to do half marathons and like, it was kind of like not cool to wear your shirt until you completed it. Like it was a thing, you know, you finish yeah. it first and then you can wear the shirt. You don't wear it to run. Um, I don't know. It might just be a superstition, but I always yeah. thought I got there and I was like, people are actually, uh, like wearing the shirt at the match. Um, now I do it too, but yeah. it was funny the first time. So it's kind of the same thing. You don't want to jinx it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you say that this will be the first time I won't have uh, match shirts. Um, I still only have my normal range swag. I ordered back in August because of supply chain. Um, they're just not available. And, uh, you know, everybody waits the last week to register for a match, you know, order extra two X XL large, but it's, it's not happening. So sorry shooters, but yeah. So I'm trying to do something to give away, you know, for the match, but shirts is out, out of the question. Beer is always an acceptable alternative. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> you do have your – so I didn't buy one of those hoodies when I was there. I did. I, I know. It. And every time you wear it, I'm like, I should have bought one of those. Those are like the coolest freaking hoodies ever. Thank you. Still got some. Hey, you got a mailing address. I could send you one. I do have one of those. Yep, I love my hoodie. I got it when I was there, and I, I wear it a good bit, actually. I it's know. lighter weight. It's not so heavy. Well, one of my staff guys, uh, Polly, he's Paul, so he's calling Polly. He uh, he got a zipper installed on his, so he went to pull it over. So a couple of us have done that now. I took our local uh, alteration place, and they put a zipper on it. So that's kind of nice cool. at times. Yeah. That is pretty awesome. Yeah. Any more lives, Greg? We are good on lives. We've had so we've had a bunch of lives. I haven't shouted everybody out. Um, there was several people that that commented um, when we were talking about training, just how great of a job you do and how you kind of take people in and you know will truly train them well. Lots of comments on more training, more twenty-two matches. We want more regional matches. So everybody wants do more well, here, here's the thing and I, and I hate to be selfish um but you know last four years i've when it got near this time of year my, my focus was carl 
you know, for those who don't know, it is, it is a buck I've been pursuing for four years. To, I'm 53 years old. I bow hunt now. Um, and that was my my biggest passion was was finding this animal and tagging him. Brandon Hambury, dang his butt, told me to go to Illinois. He used to be a guide up there. And I was in Illinois hunting some of the largest whitetails you find in this country. And I was worried about this stupid deer in North Carolina. While I was in Illinois, knowing he'd probably come out of my stand. You know what I mean? Like, I was in Illinois. Um, but now he's done. I, I don't. I'm, not, I'm never going to pursue an animal like that again. It, it took too much of my time just from the business, my family, my mental, you know, stability per se. I mean, it, it was insane um, the amount of time I put into one animal like that. So that, that was, you know what I mean? And, and finding something like that again is not going to happen in North Carolina. So um, so a lot, a lot of things that we've kind of laid back on, they're, they're coming back, everybody, I can promise you, uh, and, and more. So we got that five stand uh, stuff on order. Everybody, you know, familiar with five stand clay shooting. We got a, we're building a five stand, but it's tiered. So it's going to be at five different levels of elevation. And uh, we're really excited about that. And uh, there'll be some competitions incorporated with that also. So. Y'all got a little everything. Hmm. You got a little everything. Got to. One stop shop. Yes. Well, it's kind of funny because some ranges are like a long range range and some ranges are like a shotgun range or a pistol. You know, there's not very many that really do all three well. Um, yeah. There's some that like their shotgun range and they have a pistol bay or it's a long range and they have, you know, one little area of clays, but to do all of it is kind of neat. So. Yeah, and it, and the numbers show that. I mean, our our growth has been phenomenal, even during all this time, even back when, you know, certain presidents in office or economic times were at the, the range has to slow down because I have a variety of things for everybody. So when I see a group of five or six people roll into the, the property, and some of them go to the pistol bay, shoot steel, some want to shoot paper, some go to the rifle range, some will go to the five hundred yard range, and. Uh, the last two weekends, hey, when's your archery range going to open up? When's your clay sporting going to open up? Because when that opens up, it's going to be, even, I think, more, uh, yeah, fun for everybody. So, and we have a 22, we have a 22 rimfire range dedicated to 300 yards. I mean, so that's on a separate part of the property where I got these little kids over here or, or older, and your granddad brings his granddaughter up there, right, a little 10, 22. And that granddaughter's sitting at a 12-inch plate at 300 yards. I'm just like, mm-hmm, that's going to be our next shooter down the road. So, so do you have targets that stay set up for those? Yes, yeah. we got a spinner rack at 50 yards, and i got steel at 200, 250, 300. And the steel targets on those are more difficult than a center fire league. So I have a 3-inch plate at 200 yards, 4-inch plate at 250, and a 5-inch plate at 300. And I'm painting them three times a week. So what does that tell you? So – when people come up and go, oh, you can't shoot no 22 or 300 yards, we just giggle. Okay, man. <laughs> That's on the 100 yard. Bye. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just, okay. You can't, but. Yeah. But yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah. And I, I would like to get to 500 yards for our 22 league, but I, that's going to be pushing uh, people's optics and, you know, just their setup. And I don't want to, I don't want to do that. Um, you know, so we'll, we'll keep it at 455 for now. So. We'll see. All right, Greg, any more lives? That is it for the lives. All right. Well, I think we can wind it down to shout outs. Then we usually start with Greg. 
All right, I have uh, GSL suppressors keeping me nice and civilized. Shooters and sharpshooters of Augusta are local indoor and outdoor ranges. PDC custom for like pretty much the most beautiful rifle chassis known to man. Yes. Yes. Craig, great guy. He is. I literally just messaged him a picture on Facebook like two seconds ago. But uh, I got three of them now on the matching beautiful lime green. Um, Shooter's World Powder. Um, you can still buy the stuff. Uh, Shooters has like an entire full case of it right now. Um, Hunter's HD Gold because I am blind as a bat, but I'm not when I wear that. And uh, Fix It Sticks. If you're uh, looking to get some of those, hit me up. I got a dope discount go discount code I can share with you for some cool Fix It Sticks tools. All right, is that all? That's all. All right. Paul, you got any uh, shout-outs? Oh, yes. The God of all people, man. I would not be here without him. And I didn't get to get in the story of the range, um, how it all came to be, but I'll say it for another time. My wife and kids for, uh, you know, last eight years, putting up with those long days and weekends and missing parties and that to build the dream and get the business going. So, uh, you know, thank them for that. Uh, my staff, Paulie, Terry, John, George, um, Dale, Sandy, Billy, Ben, and uh, Kelly Miller, uh, sign up our website in the very beginning with us and uh, all the help that her and her husband, Jonathan, did for me behind the scenes. All my ROs, I mean, I, I have great people. Of course, my members, I would not be here without them. Um, we have no investors and I didn't take out crazy loans and uh, just people believing in the dream and, and supporting it. Those who take our training classes, um, who contribute to the matches, we really do appreciate your business. And even those just come and shoot on the weekends and pay by the hour, you're just as important. And uh, I just thank everybody for that opportunity. So very, very uh, well appreciated. That's awesome. Well, I just want to shout you out for coming on and spending, what, two hours of your Tuesday night with us. Um, we probably saved a deer tonight. Uh, you did. <laughs> Told my daughter we can't hunt tonight. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All the deer are like having a party because they're like, Paul's busy. <laughs> no, oh, thank you guys for having me, having me out. I really, really do appreciate it. Enjoy watching the show. So. so we appreciate you coming on tonight. We appreciate everything that you do for the shooting sports, um, hold matches. I know it's a ton of work. Um, I know a lot of blood, sweat and tears go into your range and your matches. So thank you for all of that. And keeping it fun and lively and variety out there. So we appreciate you for that. Thank and you. With, with that, that's going to be a wrap for episode 358 of the Shooter's Mindset. See y'all next week.